good morning, church family. Good, three of you are awake, great. It is, it is always a joy to be able to be gathered here on a Lord's Day like today. Uh, I have a question for you. How many of you people like to be, not like to be, are often distracted? Good, I'm not the only one. You know, you're, you're really honed in on something, you're focused, and you're just when you, ooh, that's pretty. You know, it's one of, one of those squirrel moments, right? Well, how many of you guys, because of being distracted, have ever gotten hurt? You know, distractions can hurt. All good, I'm not alone with that either. So when I was going to school, uh, Bible school in, in Argentina, uh, one of the little churches in the uh, a barrio, a little neighborhood, uh, had a Bible club. And for a certain evening, they had a, a circus-themed Bible club, just a way to get you know, neighborhood kids excited about coming to church. And somebody found out that I ride unicycles. And I had a unicycle with me in Argentina. I mean, why not? Never leave home without it, right? Uh, so they asked if I would go and help um, in this circus-themed Bible club. So I went, and we were in the church. We were planning on our activities for the day, so we were going to go out and invite different people and just encourage people to come because once they get to the church, they're going to hear the gospel. So the, the church property, which wasn't very big, was fenced in because you don't want the neighbor's chickens to come across into the church, even though it did happen sometimes. Uh, and at the end of the little walkway, they had the gate, and they had a little guide wire so the, so the, door went, the, the gate would actually close correctly. And so I get on my unicycle and I'm, and I'm riding on the walkway. I, I know the guide wire is there. You can see where this is going probably. And when I'm on a unicycle, I'm a little taller than I am already, which is decently tall. So I'm riding around. I, I see the guide wire, but something distracts my attention. I look over to the left and right before, I, right before I get to the little gate area, which is open, I look up, the guide wire hits me in the neck, lifts me up off my unicycle and throws me on my back. Um, I, I was okay, except for the really red line on my neck right here. Uh, after a couple of minutes, I got up and we kept on going. Uh, but distractions can hurt. But I think in our passage today in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you can go ahead and turn there, Paul's going to share that there are other distractions that hurt not physically, but spiritually, which is much more important. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you see in your notes, uh, the brief context for this passage is that Paul needed to defend his apostleship for the sake of the gospel and also for the spiritual well-being of the church. So let's listen to what Paul has to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So just to remind ourselves of what happened in chapter 10, um, in case you weren't here last week, or if you're like me, you still need reminders all the time. Uh, in chapter 10, we saw there, there were false teachers in the church in Corinth. Um, and their whole message was a lie. Their, their lifestyle was fleshly, and it just satisfied the desires of the flesh. They, they would brag on, on work that others did, saying that it was their work. They, they would boast in themselves, of course, never in the Lord. Nothing was about Jesus, it was all about them. But then Paul, on the other hand, 
comes and he's, he's a true apostle. And just to remind ourselves, what, what, maybe what one of the strictest definitions of, a, of the apostle that Paul's talking about. An apostle is, is someone who speaks with the authority of Jesus Christ because they fulfill two requirements. One, they have seen and they have witnessed the resurrected of Jesus Christ, and they were personally commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read Acts chapter 9, you can see that both of those Paul fulfilled. And Paul will only boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not want to commend himself. That's what he says in the last two verses of chapter 10. Verse 17 of chapter 10 said, let, no one who, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So, so the last thing that Paul wants to do is to, to talk about himself, to defend himself and to defend his own ministry. And yet here in chapter 11, he says... I don't have a choice. I don't have, for, for the sake of the gospel, for, this, for, for the sake of the authority of God's word, for your well-being, church, I have to do something that I really don't feel comfortable doing. I have to talk about myself. I have to compare myself to these false teachers. And so what I see in this passage today is that Paul gives us three reasons why he needs to speak in this kind of foolishness. Because when he says, look at verse one, I, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. That word wish means wish. But it's interesting because the, the, the context of that word means asking somebody to do something that's difficult or that's hard to do. It's, it's almost a wish with a sigh before. It's like, oh, I wish you would just bear with me with a little foolishness. Oh, would to God that you would just bear with me. And he says, it's, it's foolishness because I've already told you not to commend yourselves, and yet I've, I feel obligated to have to sort of do that for myself. It's foolishness because, Corinthian believers, you should know better by now. You should be more spiritually mature than you are, but you're not. So I have to. So these are three reasons why. One, first is because of his care for them as a spiritual father his care for them. And why did he care? How did he show his care? Because he saw that they were being disloyal to Christ. Look at verse two. It says, for I, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. It says, my, my jealousy for you is divine. Is divine. You know, because human jealousy is sinful and it's, it's self-focused, Right? Godly jealousy is holy and it's savior focused. What's more, in the word of God, we see that God is a jealous God. Now, God is not jealous of us. That's just ridiculous. Um, but he is jealous for us. And so when Paul says, I, I have a godly or divine jealousy, he's saying that I'm concerned for your holiness, for your integrity, for your purity and ethics, for your growth in the Christian life. He says, I love you too much to allow you to be deceived and distracted by these false teachers. And then he shows his, his jealousy in what he says in the rest of verse two. He says, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure bride, a pure virgin to Christ. You see, in Jewish culture, it was the father's responsibility once a daughter was betrothed or engaged to another man to ensure that she remained faithful until the time came for the wedding. And it was his obligation, his responsibility to be able to get to the end of that betrothal period and present her on the wedding day as a pure bride to her pledged husband. And Paul says, I fear... 
I fear that these smooth-talking false teachers are beginning to seduce you away from your true husband. You're at a point of committing spiritual adultery. See, this, this loyalty is dangerous. It is very dangerous. So much so, it's so non-negotiable in the Christian life that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, he said, if anyone does not love the Lord, he used to be accursed. So let me ask this question. Do you love the Lord? Is that reflected in your commitment to spending time in his word every day? In your commitment to commune with him in prayer? And if you say you love the Lord, is there enough evidence in your life to show that is actually the case? Paul says, I care for you, but I care that you're being disloyal to Christ, but I also care that you're being deceived. Look at letter B in your outline. You're being deceived. Look at verse three. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What Paul's saying is this, is that Satan's emissaries with the same cunning with which the serpent deceived Eve in the garden is now leading the Corinthian believers' minds astray to corrupt them. Notice a couple things about this phrase. Uh, First, Paul cites this as a historical event. This is not some commonly held myth of the first century. No, Paul talks about Adam and Eve in the garden as something that actually happened because it did. Satan tempting, deceiving Eve, and both Eve and Adam, her husband, fell and sin entered the world. Paul cites this as a historical event. But then remember back into the garden, how, how did the serpent deceive Eve? Where did it start? In the mind, with the thoughts. Two weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 10, Oh, Pastor Russell reminded us that it starts with the thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ or to obey Christ. Paul says, I'm afraid that you're not taking your thoughts captive. You're being distracted. You're being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The word sincere means single-hearted. It's the opposite of duplicity. It's talking about a single-hearted faith in Christ. And actually, Paul, when he talks, when he writes to the church in, in Philippi, says, when I have to sum up my life in terms of what is, what is important in the Christian life, it comes down to this, the Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ. It's Christ. It's a single-hearted faith in Christ. It's a sincere faith in Christ. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain because I get to be with him. Who is the object of my sincere and single-hearted faith? You see, the, the danger these false teachers pose is that they, they, they distract or, or they, they shift the focus away from Christ and, and on to religion, traditions, ceremonies, miracles, emotional experiences, psychology, entertainment, political, social causes, anything to distract us from Christ. Paul said, this is dangerous. It's dangerous. And today, October 1st, 2023, here at McGregor Baptist Church, to think that, that you and I are immune from those deceptive tactics of the enemy 
is both arrogant and very dangerous. So much so that the, that the author of, of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Quick question, is today still called today? Some of you guys aren't very sure. The answer is yes. Today is today, so this applies to us. So exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin is so deceitful. Sin will say, oh, it's just a small sin. It's, it's, really, it's really okay. You know, everybody's doing it. Um, no one will ever find out. I promise. Oh, it, it just affects you. It doesn't affect anybody else. Oh, this is the, this is the best one. Well, God's going to forgive you anyway. I mean, he is a forgiving God, right? So just, just go ahead. It's, no, sin is so deceitful. And Paul's saying, be careful. Corinthian church, I, I, I fear you're, you're, you're falling away from a sincere and a pure devotion in Christ and your, your thoughts are being led astray by the deceitfulness of sin. Paul said, I have to speak in foolishness because I care for you as a spiritual father. But number two, because of his concern for their lack of discernment. Look at verse four. Verse four says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with that readily enough. So another Jesus. Um, we, we love choices in life. Anybody like choices other than me? Sweet, three of us, great. Um, the rest of us are just lying, but it's okay, you can repent later. Uh, but for example, when you, when you walk into a grocery store, think of, if you have to go buy bread and not know which kind of bread you wanna buy, it's overwhelming, there's like 30 choices of bread. Just, just bread. I mean, you, you have your, your rye bread, your sourdough bread, your pumpernickel bread, your mountain bread, your potato bread. Then you have your white bread, your, your wheat bread, honey wheat, whole wheat, 100% whole wheat, How's that different than whole wheat? Um, multi-grain, 16 grain, which should be multi. But it's just the, the plethora of options. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had to go to the store to buy some of those big tortillas because we ran out of tortillas because they're really good and we eat them. Um, and so I was on the way home from work. I stopped and I went to the tortilla section, which is by the bread, which is overwhelming. And I saw them all laying there. So I grabbed one off the shelf, bought it, came home. I realized I, when I got home, my wife realized and let me know, uh, that I brought an eight pack of tortillas instead of the big 24 pack. And ironically, it was the same price because something, I don't know, I guess they were special. But there, there's so many choices. And, and what happens when this, when this pluralistic, consumeristic, choice-driven society comes into what we call contemporary Christianity, which, let me down on a secret, it's not really Christianity. Um, if you, so if you, if you don't like the evangelical Jesus of the Bible, that's fine. There's plenty of options. You can pick any other Jesus you want. For example, you could follow Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, who explicitly taught that Jesus Christ is not God, although he himself proclaimed to be. If you want, you can, you can have that kind of Jesus. Or you can follow, follow Charles Taze Russell, the architect of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, also known as the Jehovah Witnesses. And they teach that Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, was actually the archangel Michael. Or you can go with Joseph Smith, Mormonism, and they teach that Jesus is the first and mightiest spirit son of God, along with his spirit brother, Lucifer, who was incarnated to be able to be tested to become a God. Um, you can go with Isa, the Islamic Jesus. 
Or if you're into politics, you can go with the Democrat Jesus or Republican Jesus. Whatever suits your fancy. I mean, we got them both. They're right there for you. If you're into conspiracy theories, you can go with the Da Vinci Code Jesus. That's a good one. Or the Gospel of Judas Jesus. Those are really fun. If you really like your sin, I would go with the love and acceptance Jesus because he just loves you just as you are. You don't have to change anything. He'll just love you and forgive you and you never... Or a very popular Jesus now is the health and wealth Jesus. Um, also known as claim it, proclaim it and claim I can't even say it anymore. Name it and claim it. There you go. I know it's coming out. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. It goes by different names. Um, or you can just go with the secular Jesus. Just all around good guy. But that's not Jesus. That is not Jesus. And Paul's saying, I can't believe what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. You're beginning to accept another Jesus other than what you knew to be true? And not only another Jesus, but a different spirit. And what Paul's saying is this, that when you receive the gospel, when you were saved, you received the Holy Spirit. And now these hucksters come along, and along with their false Jesus, they teach another spirit. And guess what? They come with another spirit. They, they, they teach about a false Jesus and they come with, their message is accompanied by a different spirit and it's not the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, Corinthians, you are so tolerant that you don't even see the change in message. You don't see the change in spirit. And it says a different gospel. Because whenever you have another Jesus plus a different spirit, it's always equals another, a different gospel. Because Jesus Christ said himself in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in Acts 4, 12, it says it this way, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if you preach a counterfeit Jesus, then you have a counterfeit gospel and a counterfeit salvation, which really is no salvation at all. It is just condemnation apart from God in a real place called hell. That's what you get. When, when Paul was dealing with the same kind of issues in the churches in Galatia, listen to what he says. This is in Galatians chapter one, verse six. It says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. So, so the right response to a false gospel is get away from it. See it for what it is. Get away from it. Let it be a curse. Let the person who preaches it be a curse. But back in 2 Corinthians, they had a bad response. Look at their letter D, the bad response. He said, when someone proclaims another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, he said, you put up with it readily enough. Another way of, of saying that is you bear it beautifully. I think Paul is using a play on words here because in verse one, remember we saw verse one? Paul says, oh, that you would bear with me. I, I wish you would bear with me. 
And then in verse 4, he says, but you're bearing with these false doctrines and these false teachers, and you do so beautifully. It's like, oh, that's, that's lovely. Oh, I like the way that sounds. He said, you're tolerating what you should not be tolerating. He said, what is, what is wrong with you believers? Even today, churches will embrace and tolerate false doctrines and errors for the sake of unity. Said, oh, we just, we just all want to get along. Right? We don't want to offend anybody. And that, that desire for unity um, is also backed with a lack of biblical and doctrinal discernment or illiteracy. And so with, with, with the lack of uh, a spiritual discernment, these false teachers are able to come in, um, ravenous wolves dressed as sheep, and they, they were able to sneak in and they wound the sheep and then they destroy or they ruin the church's power and their testimony. So by, by Paul's exhortation in Galatians and his rebuke here in 2 Corinthians, what Paul's saying is this, is that you, the church, are responsible to, dis- to discern error and defend gospel truth. That is the church's responsibility to discern biblical error, doctrinal error, and to defend gospel truth. It is not only, it's not solely the responsibility of your elders. It is the church's biblical, doctrinal, soteriological, which means salvation, discernment, is the job of the church. So question, how well do you know your Bible? Could you discern a false Jesus? Can, can you discern, discern a false movement of the Spirit? Can you spot a false gospel? Oh, that we would not fall prey to biblical error because of our lack of discernment. So, so what, is, what is the true gospel then? If that's the false gospel, what, what is the true gospel? Well, a true gospel begins with the knowledge of how holy God is and how sinful I am. Paul tells us in Romans 3.12, he said that all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. My friend, if you're here today and you have not known Christ in a personal way, if you have not had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us very clearly that we all have fallen short. Our sin separates us from God. But not only, not only that, but we need to see God's righteous wrath poured out over our sin. And that's why Paul says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. It's eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, my friend, today you and I, what we deserve for our sin is condemnation. Nothing less. But there is that free gift. That's why the gospel means, the word gospel means good news. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul explains what the gospel is. It's this. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See, although you and I deserve condemnation, we deserve hell, Christ died for our sins on that cross. He died your death so that you and I could live in the life that he provides. So what is the right response? The right response is to repent of our sins. To repent of our sins and to trust completely and solely in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have not come to Christ, 
What's holding you back? What's stopping you from today of repenting of your sins? Say, I've tried, I, can't, I get that I'm a sinner, but I'm done trying to live for myself. God, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins because I deserve that. And Lord, I, I, I repent, I believe, I, I want to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. After the service, I'm not running away fast. I'll be down front along with some others. If you haven't yet come to Christ and have questions, please don't go through those doors until you have your questions answered. Today could be your day of salvation. Paul says, I need to speak in foolishness because of my care for you as a spiritual father, because of my concern for your lack of discernment, but then also because of my conduct as an apostle. Number three, it says because of his conduct as an apostle. Look what it says in verses five and six. It says, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So when, when I read that, I have a couple questions that come to my mind. There's actually a lot, and you get to hear them. It's not, it's not fun. So how was Paul considered inferior to these super apostles? We'll get to that term in a second. Well, they claimed that they were trained and skilled speakers, which they probably were, and yet Paul was not. And they claimed, well, yeah, Paul might have given you some doctrine or truth, but we have received visions and revelations from God. You know the truth, but we know the real truth. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get to chapter 12, and Paul talks about how God gave him true revelation and true visions. Um, but I, I, I want us to see how Paul defended himself. Look at verse 5. He said, I, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. And Paul is using a term that they termed themselves, they're super apostles, the most eminent of all the apostles. Um, but really what Paul is saying is that they're pseudo apostles, not super apostles. They're false apostles. Come back next week because in, in the same chapter, verses 13 through 14, we're going to see that Paul says that they're actually servants of Satan masquerading as apostles of Christ. They're not true apostles at all. They're pseudo apostles. And Paul says, yeah, you know what? I, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'm not in the same league as these super apostles in terms of skilled speaking, in terms of my Greek rhetoric or my oratorical skills. We saw last week that he wasn't concerned about that. He said, but I am not unskilled in knowledge. You see, God had given Paul, as a true apostle, knowledge of, of who God is, knowledge of what the inspired scriptures say, knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, what the gospel is, what Christian living actually looks like. And Paul even said in, in, the, in the next chapter, in chapter 12, verse 12, he says, the signs of a true apostle as opposed to a fake one, were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and, spirit and mighty works. Paul said, Corinthian believers, when, when I was with you, I mean, I, I, I was there, I spent 18 months with you teaching the word of God. And when I was there, you received it as the will, the word of God, because it was. And God demonstrated that by doing miracles among you. You, you, you saw the works. There was nothing hidden so what happened? Why aren't you more biblically discerning? You see, the teachings of Paul about the will and the work of God were under attack in the church in Corinth. But you know what? Today, that hasn't changed. The teachings of Paul about the will and the word of God are under attack today. 
And if you join me this week in Beyond the Notes, we're going to talk a little, about, a little more about how that looks. How are the teachings of Paul about the will and the word of God under attack today? So tune in this week to Beyond the Notes. Um, Paul knew that human eloquence highlights the preacher, but not the cross. Whereas faithful preaching will result in people not focusing on the preacher, but on the Christ of whom he preaches. You see, our, our goal in sharing the gospel and in teaching the word of God is not novelty. Um, our goal is not, to try, is not trying to teach you something new that you've never heard before or the most popular opinion about this passage or the cultural issues of the day, even though the Bible talks to all of those. Our goal is clarity. Our goal in teaching the word of God is, is clarity. And I can speak on behalf of your elders and the church leaders that our commitment before the Lord to the church is that we, with the, with the discernment that God gives us, will teach the whole counsel of the word of God with clarity so that you and I can understand what God is saying and with the help of his Holy Spirit go out and live in obedience to the glory of God. Our commitment is to teach the word of God with clarity. And I pray that your commitment, that our commitment as the church to each other before the Lord is to grow in biblical discernment, is to grow in loyalty and in love for the Lord. Because that is our big idea, and I put it on your notes, is a spiritually healthy, God-honoring church is one where the word is taught with clarity and the body grows in biblical discernment and in loyalty to Christ. May that be the definition of our church. May that define who you and I are as we grow in Christ.